WFIA welcomes you to The Art Parlor, where visually impaired artists of all types will discuss their work. Pull up a chair, bring your beverage of choice, and listen to thoughtful, stimulating conversations with visually impaired artists in all media and from all parts of the world. And now, here are your hosts, Anne and Peter. Welcome to the Friends in Art Art Parlor. My name is Peter Altschul. I am the program chair for Friends in Art, and we are delighted this month to have Satana <laughs> Harry. And Satana is what uh, I think this was called a voiceover actress. Is that the official name for? Yeah, your some title? people say voiceover artist. Some people say voice actor. I tend to use voice actor because it puts the focus, I think, on acting with the voice, and, and regardless of what kind of a script one is reading we are acting it is an acting kind of thing you have to be connected into the story of the copy so yeah i tend to okay use so we, we will voice say artist is not wrong voiceover okay. artist voice talent yeah okay well we'll, so we'll, many terms. So we'll many try terms. to say we'll try to say voice actor if i can remember that you know that much <laughs> that will be great so welcome thank Satana. you it's so great to be here Satana. and let us start with the obvious question what is a voice actor? I get to talk for a living. It's really fun. So like I was saying, it's basically somebody who's acting, but I'm acting behind a microphone rather in front of, than in front of a camera. So for me, that means that, you know, if you're acting in the theater and you're in front of on the stage and, you know, you're talking to a whole room, you're a lot louder than you have to be behind a microphone where that mic is helping amplify you. So, but there's still lots of range. And within voice acting, there are lots of different niches and genres, everything from audio description to uh, if you hate being on hold, press one, um, you know, that kind of voicemail thing to a lot of what I do is medical, technical, scientific narration. I love the long form stuff, audiobooks. Lots of fiction audiobooks in every genre you can imagine, which I don't tend to do a lot of. Video games, animation, short little explainer videos. Think about these two or three minute little or even 90 second little videos that talk about a product and what it is. They're less of an advertisement and they're more of a here's how this works kind of thing. So lots of stuff, even things like the voices in the airport or the voices when you walk through the grocery store that are selling you products or little demonstrations or telling you that something's on sale for 99 cents. There's tons and tons of stuff that happens in voiceover. I think when most people think of voiceover, they think television and radio, and that's all good and, and real too. But there's so much more to it than just TV and radio. So tell me about what your typical day looks like. I know there probably is no such thing as a typical day for a voice actor. We'll talk about how, how your typical day runs. It depends on how many projects are going on. On days when I have not so many projects, I like to spend a fair amount of time auditioning because I love auditioning. It's fun. It's I don't want to say that it's throwaway. That sounds really terrible, but it's the kind of thing where you look at a project and you get on the mic and you just do the read. And then there's this wonderful thing where either somebody will hire you for it or you'll never hear about it again. And sometimes people just write the most amazing, wonderful, comical scripts. Um, or sometimes the audition will be, like I said, I do a lot of medical, uh, technical, scientific. So I like all of the technological scripts and I like all of the sort of medical or scientific scripts, everything from climate change to mm, training people on using a new medical device that's going to help surgeons that that work on spines do i mean that sounds really specific but it is really specific it's going to help spinal surgery be better or it's going to help some kind of cardio patient heart disease kind of thing it's just so much fun there's so much uh flexibility in all the projects that pop through that are available just to audition for. So I love auditioning. So how do you find your auditions? How do you find stuff to audition for? I'm on a number of online casting sites. They're sometimes called pay-to-play sites. And you build a profile on those sites. And the profile contains everything from what ages can you perform to what gender are you and you know what do you specialize in. 
So for example, I don't do a ton of video game work. So I tend not to put up too many video game types of demos because it's just not what I enjoy doing as much as I like all the other stuff. So you create a profile and then the audition opportunities are sent to you via email, or you can just look directly on the site and see them there. Okay. Um, And then sometimes too, I mean, I do a a bunch of different kinds of marketing tactics. So I also will direct market to companies and sometimes I'll just get an, an email. I'll wake up in the morning and it happened to me the other day. I woke up and there were two bookings in one audition and it was just like, whoa, okay. Uh, so sometimes people just ask you, hey, I have a script and I think you would be perfect for it. And I found your website or I found you through some other website and here you are, or somebody told me about you and can you read a portion of the script and let's see if it's a good fit. So there's a bunch of different ways to get auditions. So when, when you get a script, somebody says, hey, I think you ought to be good at reading that script. How do you prepare? I look at information that has been written about the project. A lot of times you'll get a brief. We're looking for a warm, believable, authentic, conversational voice, sort of mid-30s to mid-40s. And we're pitching this to a bunch of uh, CFO high level. So we want it to be warm and conversational, but we want it to be authoritative because it's the C class of people, like the CEOs, the CFOs, the, the C class that we're that we're pitching to or something like that. So you you generally get something that tells you what the project is about, who the audience is, and what the intent is. And that helps inform what I'm going to do with it. Because I get to know whether I get to be more comical or whether I need to be more down to earth or what I need to do. And then I read the script and sometimes, again, you get an entire script in front of you. And of course, with an audition, if your script is two minutes long, I'm not going to read the whole two minutes because it's an audition. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm going to look at that script and I'm going to pick out generally something from the beginning, the middle, and the end that sort of represents what's the problem, what's the the introducing so-and-so that's the solution, and then making sure that I get that end tagline or that kind of end call to action that's happening. And what equipment do you have to help you do all this stuff? I mean, I'm thinking about both as a voice actor who is blind and what recording equipment do you use? So I'm sitting in front of an MKH 416 Sennheiser microphone and I'm in a four by six whisper room booth. So it is literally a room that you put together with an electric screwdriver. (laughs) It's really fun to put it together. And my setup is not the setup. It's just, it's the setup that I'm sitting in at the moment. I've done stuff out of hotel rooms and things like that. It, it's very doable. The, the one thing about voiceover is that if you know how to use your tech, you really can do it anywhere. I know a lot of sighted voice actors that audition in their cars. You know, they've got like a something that like on the dash that they just set their iPhone into it and use that. And for a quick audition, you know, it works. So um, let's see. What did I talk about? I talked about the microphone. I talked about the booth. You talked about your your tech skills. So you you an Apple computer of some description? Is that I I, I do have a Mac. Yeah, but I, I tend to be more of a PC person. I just grew okay. up being a PC person. Sure. So it's it's my operating system of choice. I love Reaper. I also spent a number of years with SoundForge. So SoundForge is absolutely my friend. You so, can really so, tell the voice actors that have been around for a while because we're so, like, so, so, yeah, so just, Soundforge. Soundforge for years. It's true. Yeah. So, so uh, for those who are not quite as technologically hip, talk about what Soundforge and Reaper do. So they're called DAWs. They're digital audio workstations, D-A-W's, DAWs for short. And those are the things that you use to record. They're just pieces of software, just programs on on your computer, like Microsoft Word is a program, Reaper is a program, they're applications. And you run them, and uh, Reaper particularly has all sorts of great keyboard shortcuts and built-in stuff. And the SoundForge has a lot of that too, but Reaper has a specific overlay that uh, is called OSARA, Open Source Accessibility for the Reaper application and specifically for blind users that makes it pretty snappy and has a lot of ongoing development. Pro Tools has a lot of ongoing development as well. They're the pieces of software that you use to record yourself and to edit yourself. The difference between SoundForge and Reaper is that SoundForge is really designed to be a stereo 
app. So you're just your standard one or two tracks, either mono or stereo. In voiceover, most of the time, it's mono. Nobody needs you to be in stereo. Whereas Reaper is a multi-track application. So on one track, I can have the TV show that I'm narrating the audio description for. I have the TV show on that track. And then on the other track, I have me. And when I send to the client, I just send the track of me. I don't send the track of the TV show because I'm not mixing it and putting it all together. I'm just using that TV show track to listen as I record to get a sense of what's going on in the media. So Reaper's multi-track SoundForge is generally just one single track that you're doing. So just for, again, for those who are less familiar with this stuff, what are some basic things that Reaper can do to help you besides record? When it comes to editing, for example. The reason I will use Reaper over SoundForge for something that is a single track. Right. um, I tend to audition in SoundForge. That's just me. But Reaper's great for editing, right? So I start reading a script and I flub it up. You got to clip that stuff out before you send it to your client. Right. So you can do all of that editing in Reaper and or SoundForge. What I love about Reaper is when I'm doing e-learning, a lot of times they want the files split into multiple files. So there's, you've got a presentation that somebody's watching online and there's, you know, a hundred slides and each slide is in its own separate file. And in Reaper, you can drop a marker and you can name those markers and you can do that in SoundForge too, but you can't easily see what the markers are named. Mm. Whereas in Reaper, it's really easy to see what the names are. So I'll read a slide and then I'll stop and I'll drop and name a marker and I will actually name it the name of the file I need because every client wants their file named the specific way. It is never 001002. It is just never done like that. I just got through doing this big marketing thing and it was, you know, you had to name the lessons based on the module and the lesson number, no, the module, the section number within the module, and then the lesson number. So something like M1, S2, L3 kind of thing. So I can name all those markers and then I can render out those files and it will automatically split when I bounce out or render out the final tracks. And as you said, you you can also edit out flubs and other things that uh, I assume assume you can Mm -hmm. also do things like... uh, regulate your voice a little bit, maybe focus on the highs or the lows or the whatever. You can do things like that as well. Oh, you mean like add plugins? Yeah, that too. Add plugins to deal with EQ and compression. Yeah, 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 yeah. All that kind of stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thanks. I've always been sort of curious and I suspect a lot of folks who are listening to the show might be curious as well because we hear these things. We don't quite know what what they are. So thank you for that that thing. Peter, I have a quick question yes, uh, before we move from this topic. Satana, how are you reading for your auditions? Because I'm a Braille reader, and I'm thinking there's not often a very quiet way to read Braille while you're in front of a microphone. <laughs> you know, believe it or not, a lot of people talk about this, and the Braille display does not make that much noise. I will say, I think that I've become lighter at my touch over the years, I mean, like I'm running my hand across a Braille line right now. And probably the thing that you'll hear is I'm tapping. I I have a Braille Sense U2 in front of me. And I'm touching the buttons that move up and down. And -hmm. those are the things that make the most noise. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, But one of the things I do is I read across a line. And rather than sliding my fingers back across the line to the beginning I tend to read across and lift my hand. So I read with two hands. Mm -hmm. So I read across and as my right hand gets to the end, my left hand goes back to the beginning and my right hand lifts up and just lands back against my left index finger. So I'm not scraping my hand across that Braille display. Do you know what I mean? Yep. I get get what you're saying. That makes good sense. (laughs) Yeah. And... When I was trying to read something for the Wolfville Library for the Blind in Jeff City, the problem was not my Braille sliding along the display. It was hitting that advanced button. Yes. That, that mm, was, and yeah. So it, have you found any secrets to address that? Or is the sense more quiet than the, uh, the, uh, the, the quiet. Apex? It's quieter, quieter things. Quieter what, what were school. you using? I was using an Apex. 
Apex from all those thumb keys. Yeah, those thumb keys. Yeah. The thought those thumb keys can definitely be loud. I the fact is, I think that a good engineer can work with it. I mean, I've never had anybody say to me, and maybe people have felt this, but nobody's ever said to me, that real display right there is a real problem. <laughs> like it's just never happened. And they've never said, Hey, there's some weird clicks and you know, swishes or whatever in the background. Yeah, but you know what the thing is these days with with uh tools like Isotope RX and stuff like that, it's just a non-issue. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, for those who don't know, Isotope is a company. RX is a tool that they make, and uh, they're up to RX9 now. So it's a suite of tools that can do everything from de-reverb, like it'll try and cut the reverb in your room, all that reflective sound, to denoising, so kind of or debreathing, like lowering the uh, the sound of those people who are just like, <gasps> you know, yeah. and those breaths. All the all the mouth sounds. Yeah, and yeah. mouth clicking. Mm-hmm. So you there's know, so many tools out there that will really, really manage it. And uh, I understand what you're saying about the keyboard sounds because mm-hmm. I'm not a Braille reader, you know, and I do audio prompting, but my arrow keys were making so much noise during my recordings. It's going crazy. So <laughs> I ended up switching keyboards three times to find a keyboard who got arrow keys that are silent. And I, yeah, had to, like, I know somebody who uses a, a, a silicone keyboard because of that. Yeah, I use like, this really cheapo keyboard with a mm-hmm. silicone cover and it dulls the noise so yeah. much. Yeah. Now I'm I'm really happy. But at first it was just disheartening because I was trying to figure out on my own how to make that happen and or how to get rid of it. And it was just seemed like somebody was just, you know, tapping my, you know, in the background. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. And, and my question about all this is, how do they come up with these names? Isotope? <laughs> really? Yeah, isotope. I know it's an it's I Z O T O P. Ah, okay. So it 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 is like isotope, but it's not like isotope. You know, what uh, I mean? isotope. And so, isotope. I mean, it, yeah. it's just these some of these names are just hilarious. You know. Uh, so anyway, I've done a lot of voiceover stuff, but you know, the one time I did do it when I was trying to read a prologue to my book, they couldn't use it because the thumb key was just too loud, and so they did it themselves, which is too bad. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's another conversation for another time. If I can address one more piece too, I will say this, that it does depend on the Braille display. It does depend on your touch on that Braille display. And for anybody who's out there thinking, oh, well, today we've got auto advance, you know, the Braille will just automatically change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't work so well when you're reading voiceover. There's just too much variability, right? right? Yeah, You're not reading silently to yourself and reading silently is just a whole different ball of wax than reading out loud. There's sure variables, you know, yeah, different yeah. amounts of words fit on the line. And so I, I've never, I've tried auto advance and it, I can't, I can't make it work for reading voiceover. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. You have to be flexible. Yeah. And, you, and then and the other thing I would say is that it also really does depend on where you are. So if I'm in a hotel room and I've got a braille display, even if I've got a great microphone, it does make a difference because there's all that additional ambient reflective stuff going on. Whereas when I'm in this booth, it's built to be quiet. It is a quiet space. Mm. You know, it's built not to reflect the sound and that kind of thing. So it it is a dead space to begin with. So the more sort of clap your hands and echoey whatever you've got going on around you, yes, all of that makes a difference in terms of what you're going to get out of a display. The complexities of being a voice actor, right? Where did you get your, your soundproof room? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Whisper Room makes them. Yeah. Whisper Room is a company. Okay. Yeah. I think they're in Texas. Yeah. Is it like permanent or can you like Oh no, you can un- no, you can unscrew it and pick it up and move it and it came in on a pallet and uh we just brought each piece down into the basement. <laughs> it's piece by piece. And okay. literally, it it literally takes a couple of people and uh and an electric screwdriver. I mean, you could use a regular screwdriver, but you would be there a while. It's yeah. way easier yeah, to have yeah. a screwdriver. But yeah, it's totally, you can take it apart and move it around. And I mean, it's really heavy and it's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, but I certainly know somebody who has done it multiple times as he, <laughs> okay. as he's moved between states um, and people sell them and, you know, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's movable. That's you said, use, um, it, Oh, Do you ahead. use a uh, 
a laptop or a desktop um, PC? I have both. Um, One of the things that the Whisper Room has is, well, first of all, there's a patch bay, right? So there's a patch bay over here on my right-hand side. And it's got Mm. four quarter inch and four XLR for the geeks out there listening. And it's got them on, of course, both sides. So inside the booth, I've got these four quarter inch and four XLR. And then, of course, it just goes right through to the outside. So my computer is actually not in here. Mm. My computer is outside. And then there are also holes, little round holes, so I can poke cables through. Mm -hmm. So there's a USB hub in here. That's what my Braille display is connected to. But there is no computer in here other than the Braille display. Right. Right. So thank you for for, for describing that. Yeah. So I thought as a sort of a transition to the next part of our program, you've selected three things to play for our audience of your work. Why don't you pick one and talk about what it was and play for us? Okay, so this is, uh, it's called Skillbillies, and it's just a goofy local business out of Oregon, and they wanted to do an ad, and (laughs) this this was their ad. Well, let's hear it. Across America, there are thousands of skilled workers that can fix or build almost anything inside or outside your home. Due to their love of guitar music with a twang, they are known as Skillbillies. To hire a Skillbilly near you, go to skillbillies.com and let us know what you need. You won't have to give up your firstborn to get the job done. If you have the know-how to be a Skillbilly, sign up online. So to give you a little more context, one of the things to know about being a voice actor is that sometimes you get to be in directed sessions. So in this case, I was on a Zoom call, just like we are right now. And the person who wrote the copy and the person who put the music underneath my voice and the person who owned the business, all of these people are in this room with me. So the way that that voiceover is done is, yes, it's me reading, but it's not me producing. I'm choosing how to read. And then they're coming back and saying, can you redo this line and do it a little more, you know, over the top? And, you know, because that's a kind of over the top read there. <laughs> so, yes, I would think so. Yeah, totally. yeah you, you don't strike me as sort of the, the, the country and Western uh, no. woman, uh, uh, yeah, typically. No. And so that was their choice. So my point is that, you know, you, you get into something based on maybe your demo. Maybe they don't even audition you. They just hear your demo and go, we think you'd be great. And you get on a session with people and they take you in a direction that you might not have expected. Yeah. It's, it's the same with musicians too. You know, yeah. those of us who have done, you know, you, you think you're going to do A and you end up doing something totally different. Uh, and that, sometimes it turns out and you're just like, you want me to do it this way? I don't, I, do, I, I, don't I can't remember what project it was. Otherwise I might've dug it up, but there was one I did recently, like in the past six months where I almost felt like I was being rude and it was supposed to be a tutorial and they just wanted this sound that to me was like, oh, I would, I would not want to hear this. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is what you're after. I don't really know why, but you know, sometimes you're, you're just, uh, you're there. And uh, it's fun, but you never quite know where it's going to take you. Have you have you ever canceled or not chosen to do a project because of concerns like you're talking about now? You know, it's not good for your voice or you don't like the approach that's being taken. Have you ever have you ever done something like that? I think that in the beginning of my career, I did video game voices and learned very quickly how much work it really is to do that and that you better be charging some serious money to get it done because it's a lot. You know, when you think of video games or animation and you think of something like, let's just give a small round number, like 100 words, it's not 100 words mm-hmm. because you're going to do it three or four times, right? If you're in a directed session, you might even do it more than that because everybody has their view of how their character needs to be. And Mm -hmm. if you think about video games, you're dying and you're screaming and you're heavy breathing and you're, you know, you're, I mean, it can be really fun, but it's also a ton of work. 
And I still do that character work, but I tend to do it in the space of e-learning. There's a lot of e-learning these days where they do these role plays and they hire multiple talent to be in the role. So you might be a patient in a therapist's office, or you might be an angry employee whose boss is giving you a review and you do not appreciate that boss's review. You know, so, oh, I did an audition yesterday for someone who is going overseas and the overseas, uh, it's the same company overseas, um, at least according to the, to the employee in the audition. And, and Hey, my, you know, my, my buddy from the overseas office asked if I could bring some equipment. Cause you know, they've got a server center over there. And so I just, figured I would just bring some network equipment from our side. And then it goes into the whole discussion of, well, you can't do that. You can't just take (laughs) equipment from this office and haul it across the, you know, haul it across the border. There's all these regulations in place. So, so e-learning has a lot of character work, but um, it's less screaming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like really screaming. I mean, you can be angry, but it's not, and you're in a video game. You can really be screaming. And, And like I said, that is fun and it can be cathartic, but, it's, it's not what I tend to do. So I, I think for me in the beginning of my career, I threw everything at the wall and I got really clear on or clearer on what I don't like doing. So I'm not a fiction audiobook reader. Not really. It's, it's not my thing. I can read nonfiction all day long. And I, I have to say there are I've, I've tried playing like with political stuff. That's not my party and I can do it. And it's interesting just from an exercise standpoint, like, can I pull this off? Do people believe me Do people (laughs) hire me for this? And they do. Uh, But it's, it's given the landscape that we're in right now, it's, it's hard. And I, I do tend to draw a line when I see things like that. Sure. Sure. So Tana, you have talked a little about how you got started, but I want to go back to, you know, who you were as a kid. Uh, What in your early life got you started in voice acting? Oh, I grew up as a musician. Yeah, I grew up playing the piano and keyboards and writing music and uh, arranging. My parents almost got divorced over an organ purchase. Uh, Not like a church organ, but like just a little Kimball organ, two keyboards. My mom was not pleased. (laughs) (laughs) Do tell, do tell. Well, you don't have to. So then that sort of bloomed into synthesizers and a Lynn drum machines and Roland JX3Ps. And um, my living room wasn't mine. It was the living room in our house was was the studio for a while. Uh, I put air quotes around studio. And then my dad converted the garage into a studio space and then eventually built a completely separate building, completely separate from the house that was a studio. And when I was... 11, 12, 13 years old, we would rent that studio out to locals and they could come in and either bring their own stuff and I would engineer and uh, people would come in and do stuff. And uh, sometimes I was engineer, sometimes I was a ranger. And yeah, I I grew up as a musician. I, I didn't grow up as a voice actor. I did small things like there was a shooting gallery in Texas that I did some voiceover for as a kid, but it didn't really occur to me to be a voiceover until late, late. Actually, I think it did occur. And what really happened is I just didn't get off my butt and do my own demo because I didn't really want to write the copy and I didn't really want to produce it. And, uh, you know, and that was actually a smart thing because the fact is that when you're starting out, you don't know who you are. So it is really great to get somebody else in to produce your demos because they have a perspective and a sense of things that you don't. It's hard to see. You know, sometimes I think it's why we, isn't it why we go to therapy <laughs> or why we talk to our friends? You know what I mean? Like people have a perspective about you looking on the outside, looking in that you don't have, or, yeah. you know, you go to other people or mentors or producers because they hear things and see things in a, in a way that's different from the lens that you're looking through. So yeah, I still don't do my own demos for the most part. So let's let's talk a little about you growing up. You you were obviously growing up. You were born blind, I assume. I was mm-hmm. totally blind, more or less. Yes. Okay. So, how did your music work? You said you you did uh, production work as a young kid, and sounds like junior high school. How if at all did blindness f- uh, fit into all of that? Uh, and how do you think that impacted the, your your development as a person, as a professional? 
I was lucky enough to, well, I was born blind. So Braille, uh, I was lucky enough to have instructors that believed in it and taught it. And so I, I learned it from the time I was five or so. And I loved it. I took to reading immediately. Like I love books. So when it came to, you know, everything back in those days, I sound so old. (laughs) (laughs) Everything back in those days was, you know, there were lots of buttons, right? Mm -hmm. Lots and lots of buttons. So you didn't have the wrapping menus and things like the way you do now. You know, once you memorize the layout of something, you could really navigate it Mm -hmm. other than something like a DX7 keyboard, right? Which had these, I remember it had this sort of overlay and you could feel the buttons underneath, but you, you know, it was harder to count them. So like I brailled that one, I put braille on that one, but most of it was, it was all buttons. So it was really easy. And I, and I have to say, I really did have supportive parents. I mean, I grew up in Southern California so Hollywood was, you know, not quite in my backyard. I was in Ventura County in Simi Valley. But, you know, we went to the NAM show, the National Association of Music Merchants, for anybody who doesn't know. It's this annual big thing. And I can remember doing that. And my dad was interested in technology. And he was interested in the fact that I could play piano and sing and you know, there was a little bit of exploitation going on there from his point of view uh, of it. Well, from my point of view, but in terms of what he was doing to, you know, push his daughter's career kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So we had technology in our house. We had computers. I, I was encouraged to learn to type on a regular keyboard. And of course, with reading came writing Braille. And I was good at that. And all of that technology. I mean, when we started out with the studio, in the living room, my dad had this old reel-to-reel two-track recorder that I still have uh, that he brought home from Japan in like the late 60s. And that was, that was like my first multi-track device, you know. You could record each channel separately. So even though it was only stereo, you could record the left channel. You know, you could record like me with my drum machine and the drums and the, you know, me playing the keys would be on the left-hand side and I would be singing a lead vocal. And then on the right-hand side, I could do a harmony. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> it was like the first thing. And so from that reel to reel, it went to a 12 track, a Kai MG 1212, which was this analog board. And again, I still have it that used uh, these videotapes. They look like the smaller kind of Betamax tapes. And uh, if you put them on regular speed, they were 10 minutes of tape. And if you press the button to, to half speed it, it was 20 minutes of tape. So short tapes. Yep. <laughs> um, yep. But yeah, I mean, I how did my blindness kick into it? I, I really just had a lot of amazing support in front of me. I, I went to my neighborhood school. I wasn't bused anywhere. I I was at the time they called it mainstream. I think now what we would call it inclusion or integrated or whatever the term is. Yes, yes, yes. So there was just a lot of flexibility there. And going back to something else my dad did, I don't know how he did this. I don't know whether the side of people he spoke to were just wowed and inspired, but he managed. We had a baby grand piano. It was brought into the house when I was two years old. It had real ivory keys, real ivory keys. I remember when I went to piano lessons and I thought that the lessons at the piano, the piano there was so cool. The the keys had a a smooth kind of shiny feel and the keys on my piano at home had this sort of varnished, isn't the word, but like painted, you know, they felt different. Mm -hmm. And I liked that shiny feel. I wanted a piano with that shiny feel. And I didn't realize growing up that the reason my piano looked the way it did was because supposedly they were real ivory. I don't know. I, that's the story. I don't know whether that's actually true, but we had this baby grand. And um, when I was eight, there was a local store that came and gave us a new free, and I still have it upstairs, seven foot Young Chang grand piano. Wow. And it happened around Valentine's Day. I have a video of the news coverage of it. And they brought this thing in and they took away our old grand. And the story that my parents tell is that they gave my parents half the money for the old grand. It was a little five foot baby grand. And they took that and sold it and, and gave us this new free piano. 
There you go. And then so, every time I would perform, Young Chang would provide a piano for me. So what did you, obviously you mentioned you wrote your own songs, you, you produced, you sang, you played keyboard. Did you also play classical stuff or did you, were you? Yeah, a, I took four years of classical. And then one day I, my mom was, I was like washing my hair or something. And I said, I don't want to take lessons anymore, which I look back and it was the stupidest thing I could have said ever and done. And I kind of regret that, but she said, okay, you know, if you don't want to do it, I'm not going to pay for it. So I did take four years of classical. I was in the Bach festival when I was nine and actually went to uh, the regionals at the state level. How does it work? Did I, let me say that again. I, I did the Bach festival when I was nine and I did the local, whatever that one is. And I ended up in San Francisco at the state level. So for those of us who are not totally familiar, what is the Bach Festival? The Bach Festival. Oh, well, there's Johann Sebastian Bach, who yes. have like 21 children or something, something like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 22. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. He is this, he's this guy. He's this classical. So was the, was, the, was the festival playing his music only? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to tell you the, the story in reverse, Satana, just. <laughs> okay. So I. When I was, I, I also took several years of classical piano training and I decided I'd had enough and uh, told my, my piano teacher that I'd had enough. And she was very gracious about it. And my mom said, I hope you won't regret it later. And I haven't regretted it later. Um, oh. it, it just was not me. I, I'm, a, I'm a drummer. And, mm. and, and so and I still play keyboard if I have to. But, you know, I, I love playing drums. And wow. that, that for me, it was, it, it changed my, I, I don't think if I would, if I had stuck with piano, I think I would have left music. So it's all different for, for each of us, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, um, it sure so is. For, for, for whatever that's worth. So you're, you've taken piano lessons, you you're producing stuff, you're recording stuff. People know who you are as this musician who's blind, or maybe just this musician, presumably you're, you're doing just fine. How did you sort of, how did voice acting fit into all of this? How did you sort of migrate from musician to voice acting? I didn't migrate from musician to voice actor until 2012. And I had thought about it for a long time. And like I said, I just, I was like, I just, I'm going to do it someday. I'm just going to make my demo and blah, 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 blah. And I just never did that. And what happened was a friend of mine came to me and said, I just did this really cool thing. I, I I went and I took these voiceover classes and and they're they're gonna they're gonna they're teaching me how to do voiceover and they're gonna do demos, you know, like I just paid this money and 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 they're gonna do these demos and I'm gonna go into voiceover. And I was like, wow. She just leapt off the fence and went and did it. And I'm over here going, Yeah, I should do voice acting. I've got the skills and I think I should do my own. And she just like went and did it. And so that was my catalyst. And I thought, wow, because I was looking at her going, she has no editing skills, like no, I mean, she could do Word and Excel and all that kind of stuff, but she had no familiarity with digital audio workstations, like with recording software and editing skills. And like none of that was anything she had in her toolbox, not that she couldn't learn it, but you know, a voiceover demo doth not a voice actor make. stuff. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go do this. I'm just going to bite the bullet. I'm going to spend the money. And I also had another impetus too, which was that my husband had been told that his company was going to move to New Hampshire. And they gave him a beautiful two year lead time on this, but he's a fair bit older than me. And his skill set was what it was. And I just kind of thought, uh -uh. this is a problem. We are not moving to New Hampshire. And he agreed with that one. So what were we going to do? So I was looking for something. I was on the hunt. And at the time, I was playing out at local restaurants. And I was uh, doing music at a church every Sunday morning as a paid gig. And so I had this little thing going on. But it wasn't going to be enough to pay the bills if my husband was out of work. Sure. <laughs> so, so while he still had a secure job and we had nice secure paychecks, I just bit the bullet and I took the same classes. And I went and got demos just like my friend did. And uh, I ran with it. 
I actually didn't run with it immediately. I started on an online casting site. I did like 40 auditions or something like that in the space of like three days. Wow. And I got mm, one or two likes. Nobody hired me. And I thought, this is a ton of work. This is like ridiculous. How's anybody supposed to make any money from this? And I gave up. And then the next year in 2013, I saw a webinar with somebody who had been doing voiceover a really long time and had come from sort of the old school, you know, you go to a studio and there's an engineer and all you have to do is read the copy kind of space. And this person said, I learned how to do it online. And I did over a hundred auditions before I got my first job. And then I still had to learn things that I didn't realize editing skills and things I didn't know and making sure my audio was clean and all this kind of stuff that I never had to deal with before. And I went, Oh my gosh, well, if it took this person over a hundred auditions, I gave up too soon. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the same platform and I put my nose to the grindstone. And within a couple of days I had my first job and then I was hooked. And my first job was like a hundred bucks. I mean, it was, you know, it was really cheap. <laughs> hey, hundred bucks. Is 100 bucks. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not in a booth. I'm sitting upstairs. My husband has made me a box. He's made me a box. It's, I don't know, two by two or so. And it's, it's lined with foam and there's a tabletop mic stand in the box. At the time it was an audio technica AT 2020 or 2040. I don't remember which in the box. And there's a desktop computer with a fan whirring on my left side. The dog is clicking around on the laminate flooring. I mean, there's lots of reflection. I'm just in the office. And I got hired. And then I got hired again. And then the same, the first person who hired me hired me for a second thing. And it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Wow, how quickly can I give up my church gig? Because I hate getting up early on Sunday mornings and, and, and I, don't, I, don't have to, I don't have to worry about transportation with this. Like, this is fantastic. So then, so then I hired a coach who listened to my auditions and said, you know, my reads, and it said, your reads are fine. Your audio quality is a problem. You need a quieter space. Okay. And within a month, I had bought this Whisper Room booth. Because my husband probably could have built something, but it was like, okay, well, these guys, these Whisper Room people, they like do these booths and this is their business and they must know something about it. And uh, moved from the office to the basement. Nice, quiet space overall. Still had small child with friends in the house, you know, kind of thing. So we had that. But, you know, it worked. It did the trick. And I just went full time pretty much immediately. So I'm going to pause for for another pause, so that because we can I can hear, talk forever. <laughs> no, no I, I think I think this is absolutely fascinating. But uh, but we do have two other clips that we want to uh, intersperse with this show. So why don't you introduce your second clip and play it for us? Okay, this is my political demo, because political voiceover is something that really only gets done in the United States. You don't really hear about it in other countries. And the fun of political voiceover is that you can be happy and warm and friendly, or you can be like really mean and mad. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's one of the, one of the great things about voiceover is, you know, I'm sitting in this booth and I'm banging on the wall right now. And it's just like the best thing. If you're ever mad at the world, it is so great. So this is my political demo. Okay. We live in trying times. Times of fear, of suppression, of hate. We don't need more or better leaders. We need to actually take the reins of power from them. We can do better. You're damn right we got this. He's a relentless warrior against corruption. John Ossoff. As a national security aide with top secret clearance, John Ossoff saw waste and abuse by military contractors and fought to stop it. If anyone can shake things up in Congress, it's John Ossoff. Is this the land history promised? Equality should have no boundaries. Worth should outshine color. If we can be equals here, we can be equals everywhere. You might not think a businessman with a wipe-off board and a lumberjack with an ax have a lot in common, but Ron Johnson and Sean Duffy are both hardworking outsiders who tell it like it is. 
they might use different tools, but they're both fighting for Wisconsin families. It's a corrupt Washington game, and Claire McCaskill plays it. McCaskill's family pocketed $40 million in federal subsidies. $40 million of our money. Corrupt Claire. The moment her hand came off the Bible, it went into our pockets. Do children without the money really have to find some way to earn the medical attention they need? Are we really going to put these children's lives in that kind of danger? Vote no on 24. So my reaction to that is, boy, are your, is your voice different from, from that first thing you played for us? Yeah. You know, it's, it's just, it's a different voice. Yeah. It's a totally different thing. Yeah. So, so uh, how do you prepare for something like that? I mean, you know, how do you, how do you, you know, it, it's, you know, you obviously do different kinds of things with different voice requirements and different moods. How do you, I, I asked this question sort of in a, in a general way, how do you sort of prepare sort of, okay, I'm going to be doing this kind of voice, this kind of character. How do you think about that? Or do you? Some of it is just time, right? Time and training. Yep. So I've been doing this. I'm going into my 10th year and I've taken a lot of classes with a lot of people. And those are really valuable because you just get lots of different perspectives on that. And, and also the industry changes over time, right? Like mm -hmm. the radio announcer of the 70s is, is really not the thing in radio ads these days. There's all this, oh, be conversational, be real and believable and authentic and non-announcery and non-salesy. And, you know, so there's a lot of that. So, so a lot of it is training and a lot of it is just practice. Like if you're a weekend warrior you have less practice. I, I think, um, oh, I can't remember his name. What's his name? Malcolm Gladwell. Is that yeah. his name? Yeah, that, that such about, a person. Yeah, isn't he the guy who talks about the 10,000 hours? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's it. I yeah. mean, a lot of it is just, what are you doing? What are you really good at? What are people telling you that you're really good at? And over time, with different training and coaches and classes and just doing it over and over and listening back to yourself, Oh, that's a big one. Listen back. Who are you? Did, would you hire you? I mean, really? You know. So this so. this raises the, this raises the question, <laughs> raises the question for me because speaking for me, I hate I listening to myself, and I don't know how to how to listen to myself objectively. How do you do that? As a drummer, you don't feel like you can listen to yourself objectively. And no, I'm talking. I'm talking about speaking. My speaking voice. Right, but I mean, it's the same idea, right? I mean. You are listening to yourself objectively, whether you're whether you're listening back to your playing or you're listening back to your speaking. Sometimes I don't like listening to me either, but I don't know. I feel like I've just gotten used to it. And again, I've taken enough training and classes with folks that I recognize, first of all, too, that I'm not perfect and mm -hmm. I will always, always have stuff to learn. And very often I am in my own way. Absolutely. I, I God, there have been coaching sessions where I'll go and I'll do a script. And uh, I think I'm spot on. I'm so prepared. I know who I'm talking to and who's telling the story and what's going on. And the coach is like, I don't know who in the world you think you're talking to. <laughs> take, oh, like, take you down man. a notch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, they, that, they never say it quite that rudely. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that it's, you know, sometimes you, you, you think you know where you are. And when somebody else comes in and mm -hmm. points it out, you're like, wow. It is hard to listen sometimes. It really is. But, but, but I think it, it's kind of a necessary thing. I mean, I think actors have to watch back what they do. You know, I remember um, even in the gym, I've been involved in, in rowing clubs uh, or personal trainers at the gym and, you know, they'll record you and, you know, I'm not watching back what I've done, but like my husband will watch what he's done on a particular machine or in a particular exercise or something. And, you know, to get that form and stuff right. It's, I think it's a thing you have to learn to do yep. in whatever craft you're doing because it, it ultimately is a way that you can support your growth. And in voiceover, so much today is not directed. Mm -hmm. The better rate you, you get and, you know, the higher level studios and even a lot of the smaller studios absolutely will direct you for sure. And, oh, please, give me a directed session any day of the week. It's my preference all day long. But in a lot of cases, you're on your own. So you're going to mess it up. And it's not going to be perfect. And 
that's okay because there is so much opportunity out there that this might sound shallow, but the fact is that good enough is often good enough. Mm-hmm. And if you can figure out how to use your equipment effectively and efficiently to record and edit yourself and, you know, manage and organize your files and you understand the difference between things like MP3s and WAV files and stuff like that, you know, then it's just a matter of getting out there and and putting yourself out there because if you can edit, you can do it. Really. So getting back to your story, uh, and I, I, what you said, I think is really important. We may come back to it. Getting back to your story. So you, you started out, you've been hired a few times. Talk about some of the, uh, the more prominent stuff you've done. I know you've done some work. Was it the Tampa subway system or something? Oh, the Tampa airport. Airport. Yes. Airport. So yes. talk, talk about some of that stuff. You've done that. Are they still using those, those promos you, you've done? Or I have no, they weren't promos. They were the... We're now approaching the Sikorsky station. You know, here's the rental car center. Um, Don't leave your luggage unattended. You know, all of the announcements that you hear over the PA, that's what that was. Wow. Yeah. So (laughs) so So, so, I've never been to the Tampa airport and I don't know if they're still using it. It's been a couple of years. It's been a while. But that was such a fun project. The train doors are now opening. Please stand clear of the doors. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, you, you you get that New York and DC subways as well. Oh uh, yeah, it's not, it's not yeah. nearly as genteel as Tampa, I'm sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, it, um, yeah. So uh, so, how did you get that gig? It was an audition. It was an audition on one of the the online casting sites. Okay, and they picked me. That's amazing. Uh, it's it's often a numbers game. I mean, really. If you throw 100 auditions out there, the fact is somebody's likely to hire you. <laughs> you know, if you've done 200 auditions and nobody's hired you, then you have to question. I really do think there's a breaking point and you have to question, wow, what's going on here? Why is this happening? Um, and I will say this, too, that in terms of online casting sites, I started in 2013. The field has gotten very full and very, very busy. Um, is it competitive? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you belong to a union, right? What is the union? I do. I'm SAG-AFTRA. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And didn't you do the announcements for one of their awards yearly, like their, their gala or something? Uh, you? Not for SAG-AFTRA, no. That was not me. For the union I awards, no. Were you doing something? I have done Voice of Goddess for, uh, <laughs> I did it for a voiceover conference. That's what it's called. It's yes. <laughs> for short. Voice, voice of God. That's voice cool. of God. That is very cool. Oh, voice. voice it's the God. voice of God. I said voice of God because yes. I'm female. But yes, yes, the voice of God, you know, ladies and gentlemen, mm-hmm. uh, please turn off your cell phones. You know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> the awesome. Program is, the program will begin in five minutes. You know, all of those announcements. Yeah. So I did that for a voiceover conference, um, which was really fun because it was it was live. And I was there and because it was a voiceover conference, like everybody could see me sitting over there with my braille display on the table in front of the mic. And that was the Uh, intention. Right. So, yeah. 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 So I did that, but I haven't done anything specifically for SAG-AFTRA. So, so, so who else have you, you know, you've talked about Tampa. I asked you about that. What other major projects are you most proud of or you had the most fun with or Stick in um, your stick in the, your mind. Okay, I I used to do the in-flight advertisement for Delta. So <laughs> when was not, that? What years were that? But oh gosh, when was that? 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there. Oh, I probably heard you. <laughs> I heard me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm oh. on a flight to like, I don't know, Minneapolis or so. That was the Minneapolis was not the final destination, but it was the it was the layover flight. And all of a sudden, I come over the loudspeaker and I'm talking about Delta's mobile app and how you can download their mobile app. And I'm like, that's me. <laughs> Every now and then, you know, like when you're in the beginning of this, in the first couple of years, you're just like, wow, I did that. How cool. Um, does anybody know the, the game Dice World? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm, I love Dice World. <laughs> and I once I I clicked on an ad to earn some free gold so I could keep playing and there I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's... So you know you get things like that. 
So that's kind of fun and interesting. Um, My first audio description project, well, let's see, the first two, the very first one I did, and and I'm proud of them, sure, but I I also found them just really instructive. The the first one I did was for a kiosk at the Washington Monument, and each stair is described and you know what what they say and what they look like and all that kind of stuff. And there's a big touch screen, a big kiosk touch screen you can use. And again, I don't know if it's still there. This was years and years ago. This is like 2013, 2014. But it was really interesting because I remember reading this script and thinking, gosh, I'm such a Braille user. I don't know that I would really have gotten so much out of this without reading the script. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you're just listening to it, it kind of goes in one ear and out the other a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And then the first broadcast description I ever did, well, technically Netflix still isn't really, it's not quite considered broadcast in the way that television is, but uh, was the first two seasons of Masha and the Bear on Netflix. Oh. Um, and it's this animated children's show, but the script was really well written. The actual show script was really well written. So there were all these funny jokes that were written for kids, but were also written so that adults could enjoy them. And I just really liked the show. And there's a ton of description in it because it's animated, right? So not a lot of dialogue, so much description going on. So that was really fun. Let's see, what else have I done that's really fun? Uh, I did a public service announcement for AFB. Oh. That was really cool. Oh, I wonder if I can find that. I can probably find that and play it. If you can talk and uh, find at the same time, if you can't, that's fine. But that might be a good thing for us to end on. Um, Talk to me about if, if, if I were a 25-year-old kid who thought that voice acting was the coolest thing I could ever do, how, how do I get started? I know you've talked a little bit about it, but what advice would you give me or your early self for that matter? Get someone else to do your demos. Spend the money and have somebody else do them. Know how to use a DAW. Know Reaper. Pick something. I haven't used Audacity in a while, but I got to say for blind folks, I don't recommend it. Yeah, I did not have a good user experience with yeah. it as a beginner. I didn't make the dive into Reaper yet. I don't know why. I'm like, when you were talking about why you didn't like just jump off the fence with that other person, I was like, yeah, that's me. I don't know yeah. why I went to, yeah. Like, yeah. What am I waiting for? Yeah. In this day and age, there's room. There's so much room. Oh, I found the AFB thing. Okay. We were talking about know your DAW. That's a huge thing. And I, I think people really underestimate the value of that. It's huge. When the pandemic happened, the voice actors who survived and thrived were those of us who had home studios, who knew how to use our tech, and were just already in the online space. Mm-hmm. The people who were used to going into the studios in the big cities and having an engineer sit behind the board while all they had to do was read copy really struggled. And it also muddied up the field a lot during that time. You had a ton of people, either the ones who were trying to figure out who were already voice actors, but were trying to figure out how to do home studios or even actors like on camera actors trying to figure out something they could do as a side hustle to manage in the pandemic when it was so hard. And you also had everybody who was at home and wasn't working and kind of, you know, ooh, I think I might try my hand at voice acting. Let's see what I can do. You know, and so suddenly the numbers of auditions you saw happening, the responses to auditions, oh, wow. those numbers jumped big time. So that's kind of settled out these days. But really, it, yeah. it's, it is not just about being able to speak. And I think people forget, too, that in voice acting, I have people who come to me and say, I'd be great at voice acting. I, I, I can do a ton of accents and characters and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well. Okay, but you're improving those off the top of your head. Can you do that when somebody tells you what they want you to say and gives you a character breakdown? You don't get to choose what this character, you know, is. You don't get to make it up. I mean, you get to make it up, but you get to make it up within a framework. Can you do that within the framework? So that's the challenge. Um, but aside from, you know, you have to lift the copy from the page. Aside from that, you have to be able to edit it up in a reasonably, you know, efficient amount of time. If it's taking you 20 minutes to do a single audition, it's going to be a problem for you when you actually get a job. You know what I mean? Um, So knowing content writing is like that. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. You have to get your muscle so toned that somebody says, I want, I want you to, 
to just, you know, off the top of your head, tell me about this product and why somebody mm-hmm. would want it. And you have to be able to do that and to perform yeah. that. It's, yes. and it's not, it's not easy. No, no. It, 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 no. Gladwell is right. It, it, a lot of practice really makes a difference. Yes. Gladwell really does. is right about that. Yep. Um, it does. There's lots of ways to go about it. Like I said, you you can audition on so many sites. Even Fiverr has become a huge space for a voiceover, and I have not climbed into that space yet. Yeah, um, you, may, you may not want to. Yeah, you may not want <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it may not right? even be you know essential for you because you're established. Right. Um, and I think a lot of uh, voiceover folks would say, oh, stay away from Fiverr, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I understand that because don't underestimate yourself. Um, remember, uh, here's, here's good advice. <laughs> uh, what you're trying to do is build a business and it's really easy to get hung up on, oh, the voiceover part is so much fun. I get to talk and I get all this fun technology and I'm editing and I'm putting things together and isn't it great? And yeah, that's fine. But you know, if you're doing it for five, 10, 15, 20, 25 bucks, is that really worth it? Like mm-hmm. you have to pay your own insurance and you have to buy equipment and you have to, you know, make sure things are backed up and you have to send invoices and like, it's a business. If you treat it as a business, A, you're going to have to invest money and time into it. There is no way to get around investing some kind of money into this. Mm-hmm. So know your worth and, and check out things like the GVAA rate guide. Global Voice Acting Academy, GVAA, mm-hmm. the GVAA rate guide will give you some great guidelines on what your rate should be or should be close to. Let me ask you something. Did you take like small business management or no. consult anyone or did you just kind of figure that out on your I own? I just winged it. I'm still winging oh, You're brave. <laughs> Good for you. I did. Like, no, there's a, there's no. so much help out there for all of that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think too that, that I didn't write a business plan until I went for the new venture competition that Hadley had in uh, 2016. Oh, it was their first one. Yeah. And that was when I wrote a business plan. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I think for me, I, I started out and it was all of this amazing wonder. Wow, this is so cool. I'm amazed. I'm in love. This is so great. I'm having so much fun. And then, uh, yeah, the wheels start turning, and and uh, if it, uh, that would be something that I think I would I would look back on and and reconsider now, because it's harder to stop now. I'm I'm you know the wheels are turning and I'm in the machine, right? Right, right. So uh, that it is a harder thing to do later for sure. Okay. So let's hear let's hear your last clip. Good advice. Uh, if, thank if, if you. you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's hear your last clip. If you would introduce it, that'd be great. Okay, this is a commercial I did for the American Foundation for the Blind in like, I don't know, 2014, somewhere in there. It was several years ago. Somewhere. Yeah, here it is. For almost 100 years, the American Foundation for the Blind has built on the legacy of Helen Keller by connecting people with vision loss to the outside world and fighting for those that have fought for us by giving a voice to those who need it advocating for laws that help visually impaired people and helping us communicate with the world in a whole new way. Helen would be proud of the breakthroughs made for generations of Americans with vision loss. As for tomorrow, let's shoot for the moon. To learn more, visit afv.org. This message brought to you by Comcast NBC Universal. So it's worth noting that that was a TV ad, which is why you got the NBC Universal at the end of it there. So what does that mean for you? Were you on screen or were you just doing the voiceover? No, no, no. I was just doing the voiceover. But I said it that way because, oh, I don't remember what the visuals were now, but the the let's shoot for the moon probably has some kind of visual going along with it that's, you know. A rocket ship shooting through the whatever. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. I mean, you get the message without the description of it, but it's... Some of those lines were written with visuals that would support them, basically. Of course, there might also be people playing hearts as well, but that's a whole other conversation. So this has been wonderful. I, I am very appreciative oh, of yeah. finding it, uh, you know, spending some time with us. Any last piece of advice you'd like to give to us considering voice acting as a, as a career or as a avocation or whatever? 
if you know your DAW and you think you got a voice, jump in. Here, my advice would be this: I, I see people that do this thing where they just take class after class after class after class after class, and it's like, okay, at some point you got to figure out what you need to learn, rather than trying to learn everything, mm-hmm. and you got to step out of the learning space and into the doing space. Yeah, it's not serving you to keep learning. You're always going to keep learning and learning and learning. That's that's a given. But figure out what it is do you need to learn? Do you need uh, to brush up on the the recording side or the editing side or the tech side? Or or are you struggling to read the copy? How are you going to read the copy? Because, you know, either you're going to do it by uh, reading the Braille display or you're going to use your screen reader as teleprompter, right? Or you can read print right. well enough to use your eyes. You know, those are kind of your three options. You know, I've heard sighted people like sighted voice coaches come and say, well, this blind person came to me and they, you know, they, they had me read each line and then they, I, I they read it back. And I was like, okay, well, that isn't, <laughs> that is not, the, you know, you're never going to, you're, you're not going to, it's not going to work. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to read copy with fluency and efficiency, know your tech. And if you can do that, then it doesn't need to be perfect. It just doesn't. There are too many little tiny mom and pop places out there that, you know, even if you start small, you can always start small and think big, but stop going to 109 classes and get out there and do it. On that note, we thank you, Satana, for joining us. It's been wonderful. We wish you well in your future. We hope we reconnect with you in the future somehow. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Art Parlor is brought to you by Friends in Art and ACB Media. It airs every Saturday beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media 1. To listen and for a full schedule, go to acbmedia.org slash one. Art Parlor is also available as a podcast. Just search for Art Parlor in your favorite podcast app. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at artparlor at friendsinart.org and please feel free to check out our website www.friendsinart.org Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next month.